Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Seems Like Diaculture podcast, you guys, or welcome if you are new here. And if you are, let me introduce myself. My name is Mallory Page. I am a registered dietitian. I'm also the host of this podcast. And if you're wondering what the gist of this podcast is, it's essentially a place where you can come and receive non-diet, research-backed information, as well as educated opinions on topics such as nutrition, wellness, fitness, current events, recovery, and more. Every time, I really just hope that you leave with a perspective that you may not have heard before, or at least reassurance and a perspective that you have so that you can make the best decision for you on what works within these topics, because that's really different for everybody. And the diet culture way of thinking about things doesn't work for everybody either, but that's most of what we hear in podcasts and media and books even, and just so much of what we consume. Every week's a little bit different. Last week was one of our deep dive research episodes where we talked about GMOs. This week is going to be more discussion oriented. Next week, we're going over a current event that just occurred with ultra processed foods and if they're going to be doing guidelines for those. So there are always some variation, but no matter what, I hope that you can take something away from every single episode And I'm just always so excited to get to chat with you guys and sit down and do this podcast. I also have something so exciting coming up very soon that we hope to announce within the next couple of weeks that will allow for this to be more of a two-way conversation or a group conversation. And I won't go in depth with more info until we have it fully ironed out. But just think about a group where you can actually get support from other people that live in a non-diet way, are anti-diet culture, or exploring that, or even just research-focused. It's going to be so freaking fun. And if that sounds interesting to you, always feel free to send me a DM or insert something into our podcast, or that's not what I meant to say. (laughs) I meant to say submit your feedback via our website, which for your information is always, I don't like for your information. It sounds like abrasive, but anyways, if you're wondering, the show notes always have my links, any research uh, and resources that we used and, and all of that good stuff, but Let's just dive right into this episode because there's a lot that we can discuss and I feel like it's important to make note of the fact that this isn't one of those episodes that is going to bring a bunch of different research up or have all of these different resources. It's really just one of those where I want to sit down and discuss something with you that I've been seeing and in this case, this is on social media with a trend that is titled The Girls That Get It, Get It, but it's the wellness version of that trend. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, there's this trend that's going around on Instagram, TikTok, all of the different places that they can be. And these posts will always start with something like the girls that get or the girls that understand, and then there'll be a number of activities following it. For example, the girl that understands waking up early, ice rolling, tongue scraping, drinking greens, hot and reformer Pilates, a curated slow morning routine, daily routine, daily meditation and journaling, the 80-20 balanced lifestyle and red light before bed. Or another example, girls that understand starting the day with electrolytes and lemon, can't go a day without a matcha latte, 
Get first morning outdoor light in the eyes. Eat more calories during the luteal phase. Schedule being social during ovulation. Take post-meal blood sugar-regulating walks. Invest in infrared saunas and red lights over designer bags. And wear blue light blockers at night. There are even ones like this. Girls that understand water first thing in the morning, self-care, 13 plus K-steps a day, sugar-free diets, high protein, high volume, gut health, fresh sheets, prioritizing your goals, and so on and so forth. And there are even more extreme versions of this, people saying drinking raw milk at each of your meals and only eating meat or only eating fruits or only eating non-GMO non-toxic, organic, you guys get the gist, right? There's a lot of those type of activities that are mentioned for these type of videos that are of the typical kind of wellness pipeline type of discussion. And I think it's important for me to say first and foremost that I am not in this episode trying to say that the people posting these are doing something wrong or that they shouldn't be. My belief with everything, but especially with wellness, concerning that's what I talk about, is that people have the decision and the autonomy to do whatever they want. They do not have to do what I feel like is best, and also none of us are the same, and so we all should be arguably doing different things. That being said, there are definitely things within these suggestions that personally I don't think are practices you need to feel like you should do. I can go into those more in depth, but it's really not the point of this episode. The only reason I would go into them is to make sure that you guys didn't feel as if I was recommending these things either. It's this fine line between I don't want to come off as I'm trying to judge these people and their routines, but I also don't want you guys to hear me read those and then think, oh my gosh, well, I need to be walking 13k steps a day. No, you definitely do not. There is a whole episode on the idea of 10k steps and how it's a fallacy and it's actually one of the earliest podcast episodes on Seems Like Diet Culture, so I will link that. But before we do dive into more of those specifics, which I'll kind of go through rapid fire at the end, and of course you can always reach out if you have more questions about them, but the point that I want to emphasize is what these type of videos represent about wellness culture in general at this current point in time. So first to discuss that, we need to talk about what the nature of wellness is currently. And of course, that's a hard thing to even discuss because wellness is such a huge topic and every single person looks at wellness differently, interacts with wellness differently, not only within their personal life, but on their social media feeds and in their conversations with others and in so many different facets. But what we're going to use to discuss this is more so the social media sphere of wellness at current and even somewhat the mainstream version of wellness that we see in articles and on podcasts. And this version of wellness is one that inherently comes off as exclusionary. And before you feel like I'm trying to be super polarizing or speak negatively about wellness, I hope that you'll hear me out on why I say that. 
So wellness in and of itself is meant to be something that is accessible to all. Every single person is meant to be able to interact with wellness in a way that works for them. And wellness is actually not something that just relates to food and exercise and health. It is a huge sphere, and there's all these different areas on the wellness wheel. Social, psychological, economic, and so many more. And in that sphere, there is one section that talks about food, exercise, and all of those things that make up this huge sphere. I could go even more in depth into specifics on the wellness wheel. I have done it a lot on this podcast, so I just don't want to be reiterating it over and over again for you avid listeners that I appreciate so much. But you can always kind of search this up online if it interests you and see actually how many different renditions there are of this wellness wheel. And you may be surprised at how in-depth they are and how many different areas are within them. And so if we take that idea of wellness we can already start to see how the wellness that we consume on social media is very, very short-sighted and very, very honed in on just that tiny area of food and exercise. And I would even argue to say an obsession with how people's bodies look in relation to that. And what makes me say that is the content and how that is related to wellness. If you were to go search up wellness on TikTok or Instagram right now, pretty much every single thing that you would see would be someone talking about foods that you should or shouldn't eat, practices that you should or shouldn't do that relate to your body somehow or exercise somehow. And there is definitely more so an emphasis coming in about mental work that can be done or breath work, but it is still mainly those first two areas that I discuss. And this has now formulated people's viewpoint on what wellness actually is and that it mainly boils down to these couple of things. And then the content that I was talking about that we then see, it it almost is in this kind of like cycle where because all the content has been this focus more content comes out that is that focus, but also the content that comes out reinforces this stereotype of wellness. And the problem is that the wellness things that are even shared in relation to food and exercise, they are not something that are often very accessible to most people, despite the fact that that is what wellness is meant to be about. If we circle back to those specific reels and TikToks that I was reading to you, we can already see that. A lot of these people are recommending infrared saunas and red light and drinking matcha every single day and having a slow morning routine and doing tongue scraping and gua sha and only eating whole foods and drinking raw milk. And those type of things, although for some could be a part of their wellness routine and what makes them feel best, They are not the epitome of wellness. They are definitely this very Instagrammable, classist, very hard-to-reach version of wellness that people are attracted to online. That in and of itself is quite problematic, and there's a lot of ways that the wellness world has gotten to this point that we could discuss, and I feel like it could be fun to even do an episode on the wellness field in general and how it's gotten to where it is now, but we would be here all day if we started to go through that in that 
go through that in this episode. And so what I want to talk about in relation to that is then how this trend enforces this idea of exclusion. And before I go into this, I just want to point out the fact that I know to some people me dissecting a trend like this can feel silly or maybe like I'm the trend police or I don't know how to have fun. And if you feel like that, that's totally okay. I discuss this stuff because whether we want to recognize it or not, there are very big impacts that come about from the content that we consume online. In my program, Live Unrestricted, we actually talk specifically about social media and the role that it plays in our perception of these things. And we have this whole module where we kind of discuss that and go over how wellness and your perception of it affects your relationship with food and your relationship with your body in a way that you may not even be aware of. And if you don't know Live Unrestricted, by the way, sometimes I just talk about it. It is also linked down below. It's my 12-week signature program to help women transform their relationship with food, body image, and exercise. So you can find out more about that down below. But the point of this module and the point of what I'm saying is we do have to illuminate the ways that these trends send underlying messages about wellness that reinforce stereotypes and reinforce mindsets that potentially can be harmful to us. So within this trend, the whole, the girls that understand or the girls that get automatically sets the stage for people feeling like they are excluded from something. And the reason I say that is because when you say something like the girls that understand and then list a whole number of things that not everybody, first of all, even understands, but second of all, can't even do, it really others people. So they become this person that cannot achieve what it is that you can achieve in your wellness journey. And even if it's completely unintentional, it is undeniable that that is the case. It feels that way when you are even reading it. Because yes, although someone may read that and think, OMG, she is me, I am her, that's so great, which can be positive or negative, actually, depending on what the recommendations are in there. On the flip side, What about all the people that don't get to understand that? And also, what about all the reasons as to why? What about the fact that they may not have had access to the education that you have, the dispensable resources, the economic abilities, the time that you're committing to those things? I mean, think about some of the activities listed like a slow morning routine. Yes, I get that for some of us, we could wake up even earlier and have a slow morning routine. But for some people, it doesn't matter how early they wake up. They don't have the time or the ability to do that. They have kids. They're working multiple jobs. They don't have enough sleep if they wake up earlier, whatever it may be. And economically, how many people can afford designer bags, or infrared saunas. (laughs) Like for me, I'm like, there's no choice between those two things. It's neither nor. (laughs) It's neither or. Neither nor? I always get that wrong. I'm sorry, grammar people, you're probably listening just cringing. And I think what's important about bringing in those topics is that it's not these people's faults that they want to 
live wellness in that way or that they are. It's not their job necessarily to live in a different way or to feel guilty because they have access to those things. But if they are then going to position themselves in a place where it makes it seem like you have to do these things or you don't get it if you don't do those things, then it ends up making other people feel like they can't be well. And what's really challenging about that type of setup is oftentimes people don't engage in wellness activities because it feels so freaking hard with how people view wellness nowadays based off of what they see on social media. Because instead of wellness being going outside and eating foods that you enjoy and finding fun ways to add in vegetables and taking time to yourself, even if it's 10 minutes a day, or gardening, or having time where you socialize with your friends, or whatever else it would be, because all of those things are elements of wellness, and there's hundreds of other accessible things that I could name. Wellness becomes about these gimmicky, expensive products, and therefore, people think, well, I can't focus on being well because I can't do what they do. Or they try to do those things, like Pilates classes, and they can't afford them. So then they stop feeling like they should move their bodies because walking isn't good enough. Or someone tries to, quote unquote, get healthier, but they can't afford to not eat any processed foods or to buy all organic, non-GMO, quote unquote, non-toxic foods. So therefore, they just say, F it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to go back to not eating consistently enough or only having foods that maybe don't align with any of that. It's this whole divide that makes a really uncomfortable space for people that do not have all of the resources that other people do. And it makes wellness lose its true meaning. And if people were more honest about wellness and why they did it and the fact that they're doing what works for them, but you don't have to do that that environment could at least start to change. But that's what bothers me about these type of posts is that it sends the message that in order to be well, in order to get it, in order to understand, you should be doing these things. And therefore, other things can feel like they're just not good enough. And I know that that's really analyzing a trend in depth, but I feel like we have to start recognizing that these things are in depth and that the benefit that these type of people get from posting that content is so negligible in comparison to the harm that can be done from using that type of language. And I have not even gone into the role of body checking and people specifically attaching how they look to this type of trend. I posted a stitch on my Instagram page from a creator that did this trend. And the whole video was just her showing her very toned, small midsection with the text over it, listing many of the types of things that I read to you. And 
many of the other videos in this are coming from very small white women or conventionally attractive women in smaller bodies. And I also understand that I am someone in a smaller body and a white woman. So I'm not trying to act as if I am perfect and I never do these things or like other myself from those people. I'm more just trying to point out what is consistently seen from these type of videos. And when someone is using their body in relation to recommending certain wellness habits, it always begs the question for me of why do they feel like they should do that? Most of the time when I have investigated this, it's because they feel like it legitimizes their presence. It legitimizes the fact that they are well. I actually have even had the chance to work with some people that have had fitness accounts or wellness accounts, and they have spoken to this with me before about how they felt like they had to share their body because they weren't well or they weren't fit unless their body aligned directly with that. And this is the toxicity of our culture and of diet culture in general because it makes us believe that the size of our body is more important than anything else, our physical, mental, emotional health. And it also makes us believe, and fat phobia makes us believe, that someone's size is directly correlated to their health, even though we know that that is just not true. And so when I see this type of content, I'm not saying that I am so enraged that someone would post their body because I understand that people can even just be existing in a body and that's just their body. They have the genetics and that's what they look like. But when it is used so strategically on top of these type of posts, I still feel like it's sending that message. The look like me, well, do what I do to look like I do type of message. And that is always harmful to people even if they don't recognize it, because, and I should say, there will always be people that this can be harmful to, because people, even if they logically know that we are all different and none of us are going to look the same, even if we ate the exact same, move the exact same, yada, 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 there is still this underlying drive to achieve what is deemed attractive and healthy within society. And I don't think people can understand. I know even in my position, I can't fully understand what it is like to feel like you are outside of that stereotype and the pressure that someone may feel to see someone that has their ideal body type posting this type of content that essentially tells them that what they need to do and how that can really make you feel like you have to fulfill that. I seriously have had clients that have gone into financial stress before because they thought they had to do reformer Pilates and they had to eat organic foods and they had to have a red light therapy mask or something along those lines. And I feel like that speaks to the just horrendous pressure of 
diet culture and how disgusting it is that it makes us believe that these other areas of our wellness are so small and just pale in importance to the one health, quote unquote, area that we typically see online. There's so much more that can be discussed with this because anytime we're talking about wellness and social media and the connections to privilege and other areas of the wellness wheel, there's so much that we can discuss and I feel like I'm only scratching the surface. But I wanted to just open this conversation with you guys this week and as always, I would love to hear your feedback. I would be curious to hear how this makes you feel. If you want an easy place to comment your thoughts, the post that I put up today or it will be yesterday or two days ago when this comes out, as a place that you could go, but you can also send me any of your thoughts on Instagram, submit them via the website, or anything else that is convenient for you. And if you did enjoy this and you're feeling inclined to show it to someone, send it to someone, do a rating or review, that would be absolutely incredible, and I so appreciate it, but even just you listening means so much to me. Now, I'm just realizing after I went through that whole spiel that I did not rank this on the diet culture scale of 1 to 10. So if you haven't heard this before, at the end of each episode that I can rank, I do this 0 to 10 scale of how diet culture someone something is. 0 is zero diet culture at all. 10 is the most diet culture possible. I'm going to give this a 8.5 because... You always have to factor in the fact that these people are usually doing this unintentionally and they do not see how it's creating this type of cycle, and I totally understand that. And also, this trend is broader than just what we discussed in this podcast. Yet at the same time, it inherently is so diet culture just in the way that it's shared and what is said and how it impacts people's view on wellness and themselves. Let me know what you would have rated it. Thank you guys so much for being here and I will see you next week. Bye guys.